think it'll yeah, connect. Good. Friends, it's a, <coughs> excuse me, it's a pleasure to be with you here this morning. And my family are here somewhere, but from the moment I've walked in, I can't find them. <laughs> oh, they're at the back. Okay, good. And I believe there were some of you over in um, Central Dundee Baptist or Central Baptist Dundee last week. Was there, were there a few? Yeah, a few there as well. Okay, well, it's good to see you. And uh, it really is a pleasure to be with you, friends. And um, I, I just trust and pray that as we uh, meet together this morning, uh, that uh, somehow you will see and hear beyond the dulcet tones of an Ulster man uh, and hear the very voice of God speaking into your hearts this morning as we uh, consider this topic of uh, developing uh, Christian character. And I'm going to look at that basically really from, from just one short passage. Uh, as you can imagine, it's a, a massive topic, uh, but a, um, we're going to consider just a few thoughts uh, on this subject from uh, uh, the first letter of Peter. So if you want to turn to that in your, uh, in your Bibles, uh, turn to 1 Peter, chapter 1, and we'll start our reading at, uh, at verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, uh, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing, when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children... Uh, Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Friends, let's bow in a wee word of prayer. Our most uh, gracious and loving Heavenly Father, as we bow in your presence just now, having read your word, we pray that your voice will already be echoing in the chambers of our hearts and our minds. Father, there are many things in our lives that would distract and take away from a blessing this morning. We pray, dear God, that whatever those things are for each individual here this morning, We pray that you will undertake. We pray that you will bring comfort and compassion and care. We pray that you will help people to see beyond their immediate concerns to some of the greater glories there are to be found in our relationship with Christ. Father, bless us as we consider this passage this morning. Bless us as we consider this topic. And may each one of us, dear God, be wholeheartedly prepared to change things in our lives that need to change 
so that we might live, way, uh, live in ways that are more glorifying to you, so that we might live in ways that exalt and magnify you. In the name of our Savior, we pray. Amen. Armchair experts, there's, I think you would agree with me, quite a few of them in this wee world of ours. And I do think in some ways armchair experts would make an interesting study. Uh, And I'd be surprised if someone somewhere hasn't already considered doing a PhD in the subject. One of the ways, and I suppose one of the most evident areas where we see armchair experts is in football. You know, virtually all of the members of uh, my family, except for me, I have to say, are football crazy. I'm sure some of you remember the old 70s song for he's football crazy. Well, members of my family were and are football crazy. They take their football very seriously indeed. They scrutinize how their team is doing. They keep an eye on the most dangerous opponents to see how they're faring. One brother supports Man United. The other supports Leeds. I have a cousin who supports Chelsea, so you can imagine the dynamic when we get all three of those into the one room. And to give them credit, I have to say, my two brothers, when they were younger, uh, played a pretty decent game themselves. Indeed, even my sister... (laughs) went through a phase where she could cite the names of almost all the footballers in the English Premier League. And she could talk a very good match indeed. Best tactics, best substitutes, the best lineup against any particular opponent. Now, just imagine for a moment, just imagine how different this wee world would be If the armchair expert could simply watch football on television, learn the rules of the game, instill in their minds the different tactics, and then walk onto a football field and play as good as men like Messi or Suarez or Ronaldo or Rooney or whoever is at the top of their game at this particular moment. Indeed, dear friends, I think it's fair to say that if people could play football as well as they can talk about football, then even old favourites such as Pelly or George Best uh, would be amateurs in comparison. It's true that many people can talk the talk when it comes to football, but we all know that talking is not the same as doing. You'll forgive me, I just mixed my pages up. (laughs) In other words, simple point I'm making and to move on from this uh, opening illustration is, uh, is really quite simple. Talking about football will not, or any sport for that part, will not make an armchair expert a famous sports person. I think it's fair to say that to become competent 
let alone expert and famous as a footballer. It seems to me that a person needs at least two things. And the first of those I want to suggest is gift. I think when we look at some of the greatest footballers or greatest sport personalities in any area of sport, we would all say they are gifted. Because no matter how hard we would train, we simply could never arrive at their level of competency. So gift is the first thing. And the second thing that I think anyone needs to become uh, a world-renowned athlete or, or, or footballer or, or sports personality is a lot of hard work and a lot of training. And we'll come back to that thought in a wee while. In this first uh, chapter of his letter, Peter sets out initially to uh, encourage his readers. That's, that's his main uh, thrust from the beginning of, of uh, his letter. He wants to encourage his readers uh, by explaining to them the doctrine of salvation and by, by pointing out to them just how incredible their salvation actually is. And friends, our salvation is amazing. Our salvation is incredible. And Peter is pointing out to these people how incredible it is that even, he says, that, that the prophets longed to look into these things. They longed to investigate these things. They longed to see what we are experiencing. And he goes on to say that even the angels longed to look into this uh, salvation. So it's a fascinating salvation when you've got these personalities wanting to look into it and know more about it. But what I find interesting about Peter's teaching methods is that immediately following his words of encouragement, he issues his readers with a challenge. He moves straight from encouragement to giving the readers a little nudge to, to take some relevant action. And in fact, the word that he uses here is he challenges them to live as obedient children and he emphasizes their need to be holy. My friends, I think those of you who have been on the road a wee while in the Christian life will agree with me when I say that holiness is an inexhaustible subject. Volumes have been uh, written on it. So uh, there's no way on this earth that I can do justice to that, that topic in uh, a few minutes in, in one sermon. So leaving aside large swathes of, of uh, the great discussions and debates and uh, uh, all the things that surround this uh, wonderful theme of, of, of holiness, it seems to me that many Christians fall into one of two categories in terms of their holiness. On the one hand, some suggest that what matters is being true to yourself. This is known as the, the subjective argument. You've got to be true to yourself. Follow your own heart. In other words, they will reason, if God has accepted you as you are, even while you were still a sinner, then your new life in Christ is one that should be lived out in that freedom that Christ has given you. Any attempt to force yourself to keep a set of rules that are foreign to you is simply a denial of God's free acceptance of you. Authenticity <coughs> is a key word in this discussion. You are to live lives that are authentic. 
you are to live an authentic existence. Indeed, some within this particular uh, way of thinking may object that to tell Christians they ought to live by any set of rules is nothing short of legalism. So that's on the one hand. On the other hand, there are those who suggest that holiness is the application of God's rules or God's laws. For them, uh, God's law, although uh, summed up by Jesus as love God and love our neighbor, is is still applicable to the child of God today. Certainly, uh, they would reason the moral law should be part and parcel of what directs our lives. One group accuses the other of legalism. The other accuses the first of being licentious and too free and perhaps libertarian. So just how are we to live as Christians? How can we avoid both legalism and licentiousness? Is it about being true to ourselves and living in God's free grace? Or is it about keeping the rules, obeying God's commands, having been saved by God's free grace? Friends, I want to suggest that you cannot separate the two. It is both and. It is about being ourselves. It is about being authentic. After all, God knows us and he knows uh, all things that are in our hearts and in our minds and nothing, nothing within us is hidden from God's all-searching eye. Therefore, if we go around pretending to be something that we are not, if we go around being inauthentic, less than authentic, God will soon see through that. However, And friends, this is a really important and significant qualification. It seems to me that that if it is about being ourselves, then surely, surely it is about being our new selves. Surely it is about being our reborn selves. Surely it is about being ourselves as we have been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit who has taken up residence within our very hearts and directs our very minds. Surely that is the authentic me that I should be trying to live out. I think it's uh, interesting in all of the reading that I've uh, done uh, on the teaching of Christ. Christ neither told us to simply obey the rules the objective argument. Nor did he tell us simply to follow our own hearts and live authentically, the subjective argument. Rather, it seems to me that uh, Jesus and the apostles after him pointed out that how keeping, uh, simply keeping the rules or keeping the law was superficial to what God actually wants in us. C.S. Lewis summed this up beautifully in his wee book, uh, Mere Christianity, when he said, you cannot... You cannot make a man good by law. What is needed, he's pointing out, is the transforming power of the Spirit. Jesus indeed took the law to an altogether 
different level by showing how the law should be used to develop our very thought patterns. Not just change our outward behaviour, but develop our very thought patterns and not simply outward observance. To put this another way, dear friends, I want to suggest that what we ought to be doing is developing Christian character by making informed choices. That is, choices that are informed by something external to ourselves. And that something external to ourselves surely must be the word of God if we are to live in a way that is pleasing to God. As I mentioned earlier, <clears throat> Peter uh, sets out to encourage his readers uh, in uh, the opening uh, verses of his letter. He points out the following. He says, Christians are elected by God. They have been chosen from all the people of the world to have a special relationship with God. They have been sanctified, he says, by the Holy Spirit. And in uh, verse 2, he gets straight to the point that all of this all of this, all of this work, all of this dynamic spiritual work that God has done within us is so that, so that we might live in obedience to Jesus Christ. Likewise, in verses 13 and 14, uh, which we read, or perhaps I forgot to read, did I read the Bible? Did I read the verse? I did? Oh, my mind's going, honestly. In verse uh, 13, he says, set your hope fully on the grace to be given. And verse 14, he says, as obedient children. Friends, however we might interpret the concept of holiness, it seems to be clear that for Peter, encouragement in our salvation, confidence that we are saved, hope in God's grace, free and unmerited, are connected to our behavior. They are connected to how we ought to think, how we ought to speak, how we ought to respond, how we ought to live. God wants us to be holy. Look again at verses 13 through to 16 where we read these words. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. In other words, what he's saying here is, you know, be your new self. Stop being your old self. Stop conforming to what you were. And start being what you are. Be authentic to your new self. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Friends, not for the first time this morning, I'm, 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 I'm saying again, we have to set aside uh, uh, swathes of, of teaching on holiness. But I, I, I want to uh, focus on, on just a number of uh, elements. Um, uh, as I say, setting aside uh, uh, areas that deserve real attention, such as holiness being a gift of God, 
the fact that holiness is commanded. Uh, I want to concentrate on two practical areas of holiness for the rest of the time I have uh, with you this morning. The Bible talks about putting off certain behavior and putting on other behavior. Uh, putting off and putting on is expressed by Paul in his letter to the Ephesian church. And if you've got your Bible with you, perhaps it would be helpful to, to, to turn to, uh, to that passage just now. Ephesians chapter 4 uh, and uh, verses uh, 22 to 24. There we read, uh, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. These two elements of putting off and putting on can also be seen in the passage we've read from Peter uh, this morning. So let's just take a wee look at that. Peter in verse 14 says, Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Paul puts it like this, Put off your old self. Friends, again, I would say those of you who have been uh, on the, the Christian path for a wee while will understand when I say that where I had little understanding of temptation, and sin, perhaps, before I was saved. I certainly know what it means now that I am born again of the Spirit of God. I am much more sensitive to it now than I ever would have been. The true child of God understands better than the unsaved just what temptation entails. Yet, his or her desire will be to live for God. And to be obedient to him. The problem of course. Is what Peter describes as. Evil desires you had. When you lived in. <laughs> ignorance. And Peter is urging his readers. Not to conform anymore. To these desires. Or to put off. Their old way of doing things. The old desires. Don't instantly go away. The moment. That we are saved. But we are not to give in to them. Is basically what Peter is saying. Again I wouldn't want to scrutinize this next comment to the nth degree. There's a weakness in every uh, sort of illustration we try to make. But uh, nevertheless I think that there's a certain truth in, in the comment that we are the sum. We are the sum of the choices we make. You see, it is possible for a child of God to conform to the old desires. It is. The child of God can still let God down, make bad choices, and sin against his heavenly father or her heavenly father. It is possible. When temptation comes, the child of God has a choice to make. He can either or she can either give in to those old sinful desires or he or she can resist those desires. John Owen 
sums it up very succinctly. And John Owen isn't known for being succinct, I have to say. But he sums this up very succinctly when he says, Your state or your condition, your state is not at all to be measured by the opposition that sin makes to you, but by the opposition that you make to sin. Tom Wright, a more recent author, in his book Virtue Reborn, talks of forming habits of the heart. He talks of cultivating our hearts or training our hearts. It is, he suggests, about making the right choices, informed choices. And friends, I have to agree with him when he says that when we get it right once, it strengthens us for the next time. Now, whilst not negating the fundamental role of the Holy Spirit in giving us the power to overcome sin and temptation, as Christians, our obedience to God comes down to making habit-forming choices. Choices that are informed by God's rules or God's word. Habits that become second nature to us. You know, in my role as an army chaplain, we lived and served for a number of years in Germany and one of our neighbours was uh, a young officer uh, and uh, he happened to be the adjutant of, um, of the battalion that I was a, a padre to uh, at the time uh, and uh, a lovely young man and he told me about his father who uh, is a, a concert pianist and uh, he recalled how his father talked to him about muscle memory how he trained and practiced the pieces that he played for so long and so hard that those pieces became second nature to him. He didn't have to read the sheet music. He didn't have to think about where he would place his hand next on the piano uh, keyboard. His hands were already moving in the right direction because of muscle memory. Because it was second nature to him. He had worked so hard on those individual pieces. And friends, I honestly believe that God doesn't simply want us to have some sort of outward observance of his law. But neither do I think he wants us to discard his law. Rather... We should be aiming to understand that law. We should be aiming to understand those rules and habitually, and I emphasize habitually, apply those teachings and those learnings and those applications to our hearts and to our lives so that, when, so that they become ingrained into our nature, so that they become a, an ingrained part of our new nature, so that they become second nature to us. So that in many situations where we face temptation, we don't even have to think about what we should do. But rather, we, should, we, 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 we will act instinctively because God's word has so formed our characters. One of the problems we face, of course, is that some old habits die hard. And, of course, they can come back to bite us, can't they? Putting off the old nature can be hard work. 
But Peter says, we are to make choices that involve leaving behind that old way of doing things. Jesus, uh, in the uh, parable of the unclean spirit, tells us of uh, how the unclean spirit, having been cast out of the man, it, it searches for a new home, only to return to the man with seven other spirits more evil than himself. And the result being that the man was worse than he had previously been. Now, the idea portrayed in that parable is that it's not enough to put off old sinful behavior, but there's a need to replace that old way of life by putting on new behavior. So that when the old comes, uh, to, to, to prevent the old coming back uh, with, uh, with a vengeance. And this is the point that Peter also makes. He doesn't stop with his appeal not to be conformed to the old way of doing things. He goes on to tell his readers to put on a whole new way of life. Look at uh, verse 15. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Friends, I think it's again fair to say that the child of God comes to know fairly early on in his or her Christian experience that our primary purpose in this life is to live for the glory of God. And to live for the glory of God simply means to live according to the pattern that God has spelled out for us. Verse 22 talks of obeying the truth. It's a pattern that has been exemplified for us in the life and teachings of Christ himself. So dear friends, if we want to know in practice what it means to, to live for God and to live for God's glory, then we simply need to look at Christ. There's no need for confusion. I think sometimes, uh, certainly in the early days, uh, you know, uh, as, as a Christian, some of the discussions, some of the debates, some of those uh, uh, discussions that generate more heat than light, People uh, seem to get blinded by words and confusion and all sorts. There's, there's no need for confusion over these matters, dear friends. God doesn't intend us to be confused. He hasn't blinded us with big words. He has actually spelled it out very clearly and he has given us the perfect example of what it means to be holy. His teaching methods are simple and thorough. And I'll summarize it like this. To be holy simply means applying God's truth in a way that we begin to think as God thinks. Now, where do we find that? Where do we find that revealed? Only in God's word, the Bible. And then to live as Jesus lived. And where do we find that? We find that in the Bible. Friends, I think we would all accept that we will never be as holy as uh, Jesus. But three things to me are absolutely clear for the Christian. The first is, we are holy. We are holy by virtue of the fact that God has reached down and touched our hearts. We are holy by virtue of the fact that he has chosen us, he has sanctified us. We are holy by virtue of the fact that the Spirit of God indwells us. And we have been set apart for a divine purpose. We are holy. Secondly, 
Very evident from the passage we've read this morning, we are commanded to be holy. It's not an optional extra for the Christian. This is a, a lifelong process of growing in God's grace. But thirdly, and this is where the encouragement comes in again, we can be holy. We can be holy because the Bible teaches us how we can be holy. Jesus sets us the perfect example of how to be holy. And the Holy Spirit gives us the power and the strength we need to be holy. Peter even goes on to give his readers two pointers to help them along the way. His first pointer is found in verse 13 where he says, uh, uh, Prepare your minds for action, I think is the, uh, is the NIV uh, translation. Again, uh, in uh, my role as a, a chaplain, I had the, the great privilege of, of going to serve with the uh, Omani uh, army, the, the, the Royal Army of Oman. Just for a week, I was only there for a week, but I had a, a fantastic time with them. And uh, the young officers there uh, would get out of their uh, camouflage gear in the evenings and they would wear their traditional dress, long, white, uh, usually white, maybe an off-white, but uh, flowing robes. Uh, and uh, the, the dish dash, as they call it, uh, and uh, looking very smart indeed, together with their, their headdress, the, the shemag. And um, it's just a picture of how people used to dress in New Testament times, biblical times. Robes, clothing, long and loose and flowing, in and in uh, preparation for a, a journey, and especially for... for for a battle perhaps, or for, for some hard work, the people would gather up their robes and tuck them into their belt. They girded up their loins, is the expression. Indeed, that's how the old King James <coughs> renders this particular verse. Gird up the loins of your minds. Friends, this is the, the simple and extremely practical illustration that Peter gives his hearers. This means that we are to be in a ready state. As Peter puts it, we, we need to gird up the loins of our minds. We need to prepare our minds. We need to discipline our minds. We need to train our minds for action. And as I've already insisted, there's no mystery as to how this is done or how this is achieved. Regular and consistent prayer. Regular and consistent reading of God's word. And in light of these two, making informed choices that become habit-forming or second nature uh, to us. Friends, our outward behavior starts with our thinking. And if our thinking is wrong, we can put on a show in the right circumstances. We can put on appearances. But oh, if our thinking is wrong, that is going to manifest itself in wrong habitual behavior. Right actions, dear friends, flow out of right thinking. And habitual right thinking, notice what I'm saying here, habitual right thinking, not habitual right behavior. Habitual right thinking produces character so geared up the loins of your minds and secondly Peter says be self-controlled 
Again, verse 13. Horace 1 translation puts it, be sober-minded. It would seem that what Peter has in mind here is the idea of avoiding being intoxicated. And I don't mean simply with alcohol. There are many ways in which we can become intoxicated. It's often been said that a young man can become intoxicated by the beauty of a young woman. What Peter's getting at here is we are not to become intoxicated with the cares of this life and the way things are done in this world. These cares can dull our minds to God's way and God's desires. These cares and becoming intoxicated by them can make us unfruitful. Indeed, they can lead us into temptation and lead us away from our Savior. Likewise, dear friends, a great danger in our day, I suppose it's an ever-present danger for the church, is to become intoxicated with false doctrine. Gill colorfully puts it like this. False doctrine simply lulls men to sleep and renders them incapable of serving Christ and his church. We do have to be careful in this age, in any age, of becoming intoxicated by false doctrine. We are to be sober-minded, able to discern false teaching, false doctrine. We are to be alert. This means we are to become disengaged from the anxious cares of the world and, and be ready to refute the errors of false doctrine and those teachings of the world that are in opposition to God's word. Friends, by way of conclusion, and honestly, I, I really do feel that we are only scratching the, the, the surface of the subject this morning. You will have heard many sermons on holiness over the years, I'm sure. Uh, and as I say, all you have to do is uh, uh, pick up uh, some of the books that have been written on it, and you'll, you'll soon realize there's a lot more to be said on the subject. But by way of conclusion, I've, I've suggested this morning that Watching football on the television will not make the armchair expert a famous sports personality. Simply watching football will not make you a competent sports person. Knowing all the names of the best players, knowing all the best maneuvers, uh, knowing uh, whatever tactics that are involved will not make you this generation's George Best or David Beckham or Pelly. Two things are needed to be a premier class footballer. First is gift, but the second is hard work. And the same principle, dear friends, applies to developing Christian character. First, we need the gift that God alone can give. That is the gift of salvation, the gift of new birth, the gift of holiness. That is a gift. We need that gift. Because trying to get to heaven in our own steam, by our own good actions, will fail miserably. We need the gift that God alone can give. The second thing we need is to work hard at developing our new characters in a way 
that is pleasing to God. And as I've already said several times this morning, dear friends, there's no secret or no mystery as to how this can, can, can be achieved. We grow as Christians when we apply the word of God. Not turning a blind eye to the wee bits that we don't really want to face up to just yet. Applying the whole of the word of God. And that means we need to be reading it. Making informed choices that become habitual or second nature. You know, the South African golfer, Gary Player, was being interviewed after another successful tournament. Uh, and uh, the interviewer was being a wee bit tongue-in-cheek and said something along the lines that you'd been a wee bit lucky today, Gary. And Gary paused and replied, you know, you're, you're probably right. I was probably a bit lucky today, but let me tell you something. He says, I have found something in life, and that is the harder I practice, the luckier I get. Friends, Peter is telling these Christians, these true believers, to be obedient. To outwardly show their relationship to God by their behavior, by their transformed character. Such obedience will be imperfect. Because we are not yet made perfect and won't be perfect until Christ returns to take us home to glory. But imperfect as it is, it will be the norm. It will be what we will strive for day in, day out in every situation that we face. Our obedience may be in part. We will stumble. And yet, it will be all embracing. We will not compartmentalize our lives but we will seek to apply our obedience in every area of our lives. Our obedience may be reluctant on occasions, but friends, I want to suggest that if we have been born of the Spirit of God, if we have the Spirit of Christ dwelling within our hearts as the Bible tells us we do, then even though we may be reluctant to obey on occasions, it will nevertheless come from the heart. We will want to please God. It will not simply be imposed by a greater power, but our obedience will flow from a heart that is changed by the grace of God. Our obedience may even be a little self-centered sometimes. But friends, it should never be to gain God's approval or acceptance because we are accepted in Christ and on the basis of his atoning work, something we're going to reflect upon in just a moment at the Lord's table. And it is precisely because we have been accepted in Christ and because we are thankful for our salvation that we will want to grow up to be the sort of children that our Heavenly Father desires us to be. Thank you very much. Let's just say a wee word of prayer. 
Our Father, we thank you for your word. Describes itself as a light onto our feet and a lamp onto our path. And indeed, dear Father, it does illuminate the way forward for us, but it also illuminates and lights up those areas in our hearts and our lives that we still have to give some attention to. Oh God, present, uh, pre- prevent us sorry, from being uh, uh, guilty of, 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 of trying to extinguish that light. And let us grasp the opportunities that are given to us uh, to transform every part of our being, every thought in our hearts and our minds, uh, so that we might indeed live as obedient children, well-pleasing to you. Amen.